Weed used to be just a local thing. It was essentially your pot dealer and your friends you smoked it with. But now that the U.S. has taken its boot off everyone's neck regarding prohibition, weed and pot has become cannabis and is now a global business phenomenon. Countries are trading back and forth, and the ancillary businesses to cannabis are stretching out to become global businesses. This brave new world has many of us flying around the world to make these connections and spread cannabis friendship everywhere we can fly to. And as we extend a friendly hand to cannabis enthusiasts around the world, we get to learn their traditions and cultures around this most amazing plant. If you want to learn about cannabis health, business, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos, too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we're giving away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. This month, we're giving away prize packs from Mammoth Microbes, including retail-sized bottles of Mammoth P Microbe Inoculant and a bunch of swag to go along with it. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive the newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up and be entered into this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Los. Today, my guest is Colin Bell, co-founder of Mammoth Microbes, and he was kind enough to bring this month's prize packs with him. Colin isn't here to talk about their products, though. He's here to talk about the cultural experiences he has had and the kind folks he has met during the last two years traveling to nearly every continent to set up Mammoth Microbe as a global business. On the show today, we're going to talk about the different approaches to growing cannabis in different countries, what it's like trying to evangelize cannabis in countries that still have prohibition, and how no matter where you go in the world, cannabis people become fast friends, even if you don't speak the same language. Welcome to the show, Colin. Shango, it's great to be here. How are you doing, my friend? Uh, doing fantastic. So glad that uh, you would be able to spend some time with us. I know that you are a busy cat, and uh, watching your Instagram over the last like eighteen months, you seem to you seem to be like traveling everywhere. So I'm glad I caught you in your office for once, so that we could have this conversation. And you know, let's let's start right off at the top about like the different areas of the globe that you have been to. You know, make new cannabis friends in the in the last year and a half. Uh, I know from watching your your Instagram that uh, you were you were really interested in how different regions of the globe um, had different. Uh, I guess we call them legacy growing uh, styles, and it was different from place to place. Um, could you go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about that? About how how the growing is done differently in different parts. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And I want to start by saying I have an awesome job. We have an awesome <laughs> company. And being the co-founder allows me to get a great team on the ground and then go engage with the cannabis community on a global scale, not only to outreach the business, but to develop our, our global network. You know, one of our cultures and, and, and core competencies uh, and core values is developing community. And we want to do that around the world within this industry. And that's what I'm getting to do. So it's fascinating. And saying that, you know, we started our global footprint uh, campaign to get microbes uh, used across the world in this cannabis industry just a short year ago. And we have been successful in traveling through UK and many different places in Europe and Israel and Australia 
and countries through South America and done the education and support and brought product, our product to these countries and, and, and gotten great adoption. So it's been quite the journey and quite the education. I have such a different perspective on the world as I engage people in the world, in these different countries, in these different cultures within our cannabis community. And the growing styles, as you mentioned, are vastly different from these different areas. I'll give the example of our neighbors in South America as an example. There's some economic constraints to the products and the technologies that are available in some of those countries and just the styles of growing and the culture of using nature and using soil and being organic and organically oriented, I will say, has really shaped the way these growers grow cannabis in South America. And Uruguay and Colombia are excellent examples where there aren't as many inputs used and there's more natural additives that are being used. And I actually have one of my partners as an example in Uruguay, Uruguay Juan, what's up, my man? He did a study that just blew my mind. And this is our partner, our distribution partner, and one of the great stores, Uruguay, in Montevideo, Uruguay. He did a controlled side-by-side -side using completely organic natural substrates in the same room, as a hydroponic system, same strain, same climate, same light, same everything. Half the room was hydroponic mineral, half the room was organic completely, and the same strain of plants looked completely different. They tasted completely different, and the mindset through much of the much of South America and the world for that matter now is focused not only on yield but but maximizing and enhancing the quality of this plant, meaning the smell and the flavors uh, that this plant can give off there, it's terpenes and flavonoids. So how I like to characterize some of those environments is organic and outdoor-y or merging organics into the indoor grows much more so than in Europe and the UK where it's heavy mineral, heavy indoor, to uh, focusing, especially in the UK, on strictly deep water culture hydroponics, where organics are not used, and they're just now, the concept of organics is just now starting to emerge because of the acknowledgement of enhanced plant quality when using organics, and that goes for the microbes also. And so, in South America, we can say very open to organics, nature, type inputs in Europe, in UK, and, and even somewhat in Australia where we do a lot of business. The use of microbes is somewhat new, and it's a process, an education process, and that's what I engage in. Let's let growers understand how we can bridge natural processes into these conventional mineral uh, growing practices and still enhance not only yields but maximize your plant's phenotypic potential so they can get the quality that the plant is actually bred for. I, th I think it's really interesting that that uh, South America would have um, 
uh, such an organic base and, and it kind of provides proof of that you can do um, quality organic plantings without a lot of expensive inputs simply by using, uh, you know, compost teas and local amendments because you know, the, the, those, the people there have not traditionally had the economic wherewithal to be able to afford the expensive Western fertilizers. And then you compare that to the UK, which obviously is, is very affluent. And so they moved towards hydroponics and all these, you know, mineral-based um, bottled nutrients because it, it was the thing, right? It was the thing that affluent farmers were using but now you know people were kind of having a uh, you know a reconsideration of bottled nutrients as a, as a cannabis community and 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 so the you know folks throughout Europe are starting to look more towards you know what what people will often describe as simpler organic but anybody who's ever studied KNF knows that it can get complex really fast i think right. that's interesting how the level of affluence directly uh, impacts the style of growing. I think that's a really good way to characterize it, and it's absolutely true. And it's intuitive if it's been told to you, but it was kind of a surprise as, I've, as I was engaging in these different areas and these cannabis growers and just learning how they're growing and, and the focus on that too, Shingo. I'll tell you, um, and the UK is a great example. I'll call it the quest for quality. As early, even a year ago, you know, the idea was growers are basically focused on yield because in these darker uh, colored markets, so to speak, the black markets, the gray markets, I'm not sure if I love the term black market. I don't know why. It's a pretty common term. But where the regulatory pressure is is more less developed or what's there's not regulation and people are kind of working underneath uh, some of the legalities to get this plant in the hands of consumers, the plant typically has a higher value because there's that extra level of risk. Mm -hmm. And people really focus on yield in those particular markets. And historically, that's just been absolutely true. Throw everything at the plant that you possibly can to get the yield. Oh, and so like lots of PGRs and stuff. Oh my goodness, yeah. And that's just recently started to turn around where it was fascinating. This is a good example, too. When I was at Spanibus last year, and I'd already engaged in, with a lot of growers in the UK by then for the first quarter of the year in 2018, and we're talking about March 2018 when our team was in Spanibus and I was there also. A lot of UK growers go there also, and many came to me at our booth, and they would show me these flowers, and they were very concerned because they're super dense, super rock hard, and... They would ask, man, do you think this has PGRs in it? Didn't have any flavor. The smell was off. And the concern was that it's unhealthy and it definitely wasn't appealing to smoke. You know, the, the harsh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you kind of get the harsh throat. Uh, yeah, unfortunately smoke. I have. I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think everyone's experienced that at least once. And the consumers want to get away from that. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a good experience. And this quest for quality, not only in terms of uh, better growing practices, but in the genetics, has just skyrocketed in that market and in other markets through Europe because of the influence of the U.S. to a large degree um, over the last 12 and 24 months. And so now everyone obviously still wants to maximize the yield in their crop, 
but everyone also really needs to maximize the quality to distinguish themselves. And I see that through that quest for quality through Amsterdam, through Spain, through UK, through Australia. What I think is fascinating also is different areas uh, have some kind of endemic, I'll say, genetic that seems to persist through all the different strains. Amnesia haze is a perfect example when you engage with, with the shops in, in Amsterdam. And Amsterdam was basically the cornerstone of the cannabis industry for a long time in Europe. It was very well known. It was the center of genetics. It was a center of activity. And it's gotten a lot of criticism recently because the diversity is not there. And that's not my words. It's just the data that I've been that have I've gathered uh, from hearing a lot of people talk about what they can get and the genetics um, are kind of constrained and more so through UK and Amsterdam and Spain and everywhere else. The focus on Colorado and even more so California genetics is dominates every conversation and it dominates the pricing of flour also. So in many cases through those different regions, if you have California genetics, you can get double the price of your wow. flour that you can from like genetics that were just inherent from those regions. Wow, that's really interesting. So, so, <laughs> wow, so many, so many things to talk about. So, all right. So, the first thing I want to hit on is that it's interesting because you know Barney's Farm genetics and such are still remain popular here in the U.S. Uh, because they're less common, and so those can sometimes get a a premium price for European genetics. Um, but you're also saying that the that the opposite is also true that our our you know we've got such talented breeders here in the United States that people who have have uh, um, stabilize those strains and then they find their way to Europe, that's getting the premium. And the another thing I want to hit on that is, you know, you said, oh, you know, a lot of this, uh, uh, let's say, demand for bag appeal and terpene profile instead of just raw weight, raw yield is because of American influence. I bet you that to a large degree, it's because of Instagram, too, right? Because we've all like, you know, since we were all kids, we've all been influenced by High Times magazines and the centerfolds and stuff. But clearly, High Times magazine does not have the level of influence compared to, you know, Instagram breeders as a whole. Did you find that a lot of people were coming up to you with questions or wanted to show you things and everybody was going to Instagram profiles back and forth? Yes, and it's a pretty new thing, you know, because of the state of the uh, regulatory environment in these different countries, people are very low-key in Holland. You know, that's changed just recently. Uh, in the UK, people have been low-key forever and not very many people until this last 12 to, you know, within the last two years have really started to even engage in Instagram. But since then, it's just the platform that everyone goes to to educate themselves on the different breeders, the different strains that are available. There's actually a lot of exchange that occurs on there. Um, this is kind of a, a side note, but you know, there's a lot of people that are advertising their flowers on, on that platform, no doubt about it. Yeah, actually watching uh, US Instagram uh, 
uh, heritage or black market sellers is hysterical because some people are not even they're not even trying to be subtle about it. Um, and it, it's kind of a it's a, it's kind of a fun pastime to watch those. So uh, earlier on, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of the, the technology and uh, fertilizers were not available um, in South America. And so they were doing it, you know, down home organic style, the way they've grown their other food, just because they can't afford the fancy mineral stuff, which, you know, we're kind of turning away from anyway. But I bet you that also goes in almost all of the countries that you talked about for analytics, right? Um, uh, so these people are kind of like, like the United States was, five years ago before we had cannabis labs all over the place. And so these people are kind of breeding and growing and, and purchasing blind because nobody can really tell, uh, you know, potency and pesticides and PGRs, all these things that, that we commonly test for now. Um, those, those just don't exist everywhere yet. Yep. It's non-existent. It's not required. And so there's no cost that's being, there's no investment that's being put into those verticals. That's absolutely right. And it's pretty fascinating to think about how much we've evolved. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the genetics coming from the U.S. Well, why do we know about that? Because we can actually collect the data. We have the freedom to operate, to do proper breeding, to do proper testing, and to answer those questions with high confidence uh, to for, for further uh, selection of breeding generations. And how do you know what you're breeding if you can't test it? I don't have the answer to that. I don't think you do know. No. And so it's really not been well informed except for, you know, the visuals. And you can actually uh, try product afterwards and see how those plants are responding and how well you like them. But the, the level of confidence for breeding and actually creating gen genetics has gone way down. And, and, European genetics has been a powerhouse, and it just amazed me two years ago when I was introduced uh, to the European genetics world, I was blown away, and, you know, you can buy three seeds for, what, $40, and I was like, what is going on here? Talk about the redefining uh, what a money tree looks like, just from a genetics perspective, but that has quickly uh, evolved in the U.S. also. And so as industries evolve, one of the questions I get, because, you know, coming from Colorado and being in the U.S. and then engaging in all these markets where legalization is happening and it's happening pretty quickly, but a U.S. Is, is leading. So I'm like the guy that's supposed to have this crystal ball that says, you know, what does this look like for us two or three or four years? Or what does this look like for us after legalization happens? And, and actually, I, I can be a resource for uh, these folks in different countries to answer those questions because there's a pretty high confidence that we know what it looks like as growing becomes legal, as uh, flour and other THC consumable products become regulated. The economics and supply and demand play into effect, and it can affect the whole value chain. And so it's really fun to kind of shed some light. Uh, and that's another thing that I do often. That's one of the biggest questions I get. What does this look like when, when, when our country becomes legal? And so one of those questions also, and one of those details is, well, when regulation happens, so does the testing. Yeah. And so it's coming across the board. So, um, you know, when 
when uh, cannabis enthusiasts come to events, um, if there's somebody there that they're all excited to see, you know, like a like a major breeder, like a Mean Gene, or or a celebrity like a Tommy Chong or a Snoop Dogg or something, you know, cannabis enthusiasts who are growing at home, they'll bring like you know you know a bag or something of their best stuff to give to their hero, right? And yeah. and and um, I would think that for you being a uh, you know a cannabis research scientist and an American, which is, you know, ex- kind of exotic in some of these places, and yeah. uh, and you're going to these events, some of these people are, are bringing you those bags, right? They're, they want to show you what they grew and got your feedback. Like, what is the range of stuff that, that you saw? I mean, would, were you seeing great stuff and then like, you know, crappy PGR laden stuff or, or uh, just, just, just give us a snapshot of the kind of stuff that people are showing you and, and actually probably giving you too. Yeah, so I love my job. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the reasons I love my job is because everywhere I go, and this is kind of a layered question. People love to share and to show uh, the wares of their of their productivity, and so I do get gifted a lot of flour across the world, no matter where. I mean, forget about the states in the UK, through Spain, Australia, uh, Latin America, and it's very different. What I will say is that there's a little bias because now we've been a company for about three years and Mammoth, uh, our, our, our technology Mammoth is used in a lot of places and people are giving me Mammoth grown, you know, oh, and so it's nice. not, it's just like, it's like, hey, I used your product to grow this. And so there's a little bit of a bias. It seems like I'm getting Mammoth grown uh, product everywhere. And, and I, you know, I've probably told you this story before. I can't go anywhere for a week, much less two weeks, without having a huge like a lunch pail full of different bud from from different growers at the at the hydro shops and or the grows that I'm working with and engaging with, and so it's a it's a fun exercise. And regionally, it's just completely across the board different. There's a lot of chronic and chronic inbred strains uh, through Spain because inherently that strain um, is grown in that area. The amnesia haze stuff is you can taste it in almost everything grown through the Holland area. There's some different strains that are just um, very, very well known. The cheeses is an example of the UK, and they're starting to get away from that. There's some other strains that are just kind of inherent uh, for the Australia market. I've seen probably more organic and probably less potent uh, strains the further south we move in the Americas towards uh, South America through Colombia is an example where there'll be some expert growers and Peru's an example. They had their first cannabis cup and as an, an, an emerging market, there hasn't been the education and education is key to maximize the grower knowledge Mm -hmm. and capabilities to grow high quality strains. And so in Peru, there's a lot of room for growers to improve and there's a lot of room to also get better genetics in there. Colombia is another example where there's not going to be as high quality generally uh, of flour in Colombia as there would be in Colorado 
or California. I'll say to preface it, I had my South American team come up for our holiday party and sales training in December. And we just toured through South America just before that in November and the first part of December. And I took them to some dispensaries and to uh, a cultivation facility, a, a commercial cultivation facility in Denver and a dispenser here in Fort Collins, Colorado. And it was the best flower they'd ever seen and the best flower they'd ever smoked. And they've been engaged in the industry their whole lives. And the range of ages was from 25 to 35 years old, a bunch of young men. Yeah. And, and most of the time they've engaged in the, in the, in the South American markets. And so, so, so two more things I want to hit on before we uh, break for our first commercial. Um, I want to, I want to give you a, uh, uh, an opportunity to tell the bridal story, which I'm sure that you're, you're getting. And then, and then after that, would you go into the, the, the we haven't hit on Asia yet and you've got some interesting stuff to say about Asian growing co-ops. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. So I guess I'm honored to be, uh, again, able to engage uh, professionally in what I do, which is just engage with growers, trying to bring them value. And what I get everywhere I go is a lot of hugs, and I love that too. Uh, and, and one of the shows we were at in Columbia in Medellin, a young man, and I've been uh, you know, talking to him, someone on Instagram, et cetera, and he has some product, and he was a grower, and he was using Mammoth, and and it was a, a really uh, charming story where he told me he felt like our product, uh, after he started using it, he felt like his plants uh, were getting married because they got so frosty that it was like they were putting on a nice white wedding gown. Uh, and so it just it goes to show to the increased quality that he was experiencing with the same strengths he's been growing for a long time, just by incorporating our microbial technologies to enhance uh, nutrient uptake. And, and, and even that example, right? That that's such a culturally relevant example. That's not that's that's probably not something that you'd get from an American, right? That if you know in 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 you know South America, where I don't know the whole kind of wedding culture is more integrated. I don't know differently than here. Um, I think that is a it's it's it's, it's very poetic. It was very poetic. It moved me. And uh, I, I like to tell that story. It's just a really cool thing. And, and the thing is, is, as you know, too, everyone is so passionate in this industry. And if you can help someone, especially in this industry, you've just made a friend for life. And all we do is try to create value and, and provide solutions for cannabis growers. That's 100% of our focus. And I love being able to do that. And in doing so, you know, we're just we're just creating friends all over the world we love it so let's finish up first set uh break us down a little bit about uh aging growing co growing co-ops and recipes yeah so this is something that was new too and as you can imagine i was first really exposed to this in the uk and as i moved to europe and australia in particular it's apparent that there's different uh cultural groups that move into areas uh to dominate the black market there's uh, Asian groups, there's Russian groups, there's Armenian groups, there's Polish groups, and depending on who has this stronghold, it's kind of a, an organized situation. Uh, they take chunks of the market to control it. And there's uh, Asian Vietnamese groups that have done this for years and have been very successful. And they've developed, and what I understand is there's main families that kind of control the the global Asian growing throughout the world where they have families 
in Canada and in UK and in Australia. And it's a very interesting and a very hard nut to crack to actually get them to adopt because there's many, many different grows that one family might control. And there's one recipe that they all have to follow. And so there's a language barrier. They go to a certain amount of stores where there's a language barrier. They only deal with their own kind. And for me to try and get in and learn more about this growing, it's been pretty intensive. But what happens is they follow the same recipe. They don't ask questions. And in order to get on that list, it's been quite the challenge. And so these main families, especially in Australia, have acknowledged uh, our efforts in trying to allow uh, to bring these technologies, our technology, to get better yields and better quality, which is typically known as, especially in Australia, they call it the brown, which is like hit with every PGR known to mankind. That's what the tur- <laughs> it's what the tourists buy, and you know all the locals are like, don't get the brown, don't get the brown, mate. And and the some of these Asian groups have picked up mammoth because it allows them to get away from that stigma of the brown and to improve the quality of their grows. And so just the just the structure of how different groups are growing and where they're organized and located has been quite the education. I love the idea of these vertically integrated Asian growing co-ops that have got well, loosely, I'll say family, but they've got these these vertical families set up, um, and and if if you're part of this growing vertical, you use the same recipes as everybody else in the clan, and. Um, it, it, it's kind of like a cultural franchise, you know, it's like, it's yeah. like your whole family, you've got all these different locations, but you're all doing it the same way because it's what you've decided, uh, works and decreases your growing risk the most. And the idea that they've, they've got something like that without formal contracts, that's just the way it's always done. I find that very culturally interesting. Yep, and it's actually uh, very important to understand that from a manufacturer standpoint. Uh, and it goes down to the very unique detail of even packaging. They get uh, a blueprint of what the bottle looks like. And that's the color bottle they're going to buy with the color label and the color caps. And there's been cases when I've known, without say, going into names, a manufacturer that decided to change the color of their caps, their, you know, their closures, to blue, where it was white. And they had to stop, the, the growers stopped buying it because they were supposed to buy that product that had the white caps, not the blue caps. Ah. And you can't get it through to them. So note to manufacturers out there, packaging matters. Don't change packaging if you don't have to. It can cause more problems than bring value. Good, good argument to uh, take more time uh, uh, developing your packaging at the beginning so you don't have to make a change at the end of year one. <laughs> exactly, for yeah. sure. Right on, cool. Well, this is all great stuff. Let's go ahead and take our first short bake and break and be right back. You're listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is uh, Colin Bell, co-founder of Mammoth Microbes. Living soil and regenerative cannabis agriculture are surging in popularity, and to implement these biological solutions, real science education is vital. If you are interested in all things probiotic growing, you will probably want to attend the upcoming Science of Organic Regenerative Cannabis Cultivation Conference. Joshua Rutherford of Dutch Blooms has lined up an incredible array of educators for the traveling event. 
The teaching staff includes Leighton Morrison and Elaine Ingham on soil biology, Chris Trump talking Korean natural farming, Kevin Jodry on cannabis genetics, Kelly and Josh from Dragonfly Earth Medicine, Suzanne Wainwright, the bug lady, Dr. Robert Faust on natural biostimulants, Stephen Raisner on aquaponics, and Chip Osborne on soil testing, and even more folks will be there. There will be a grower panel, a breeding panel, and a DEM-certified farmers panel. Joshua has even built in significant informal time for you with the teachers as well. The teaching staff is just as excited to work with you as you are about attending. And there's no advertising at the event, no vendor booths. Your tuition is what is paying the staff, so they will all be very present and attentive to you, not a corporate sponsor. Even better, the conference is not just for folks on the West Coast. Humboldt, California is hosting one event for sure, but the show is going on the road to Vancouver, British Columbia, Portland, Maine, and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Get out your pen now because I'm about to give you the website. This is a fabulous opportunity for you to hear from an array of nationally recognized top shelf soil educators all in one place. Not only that, this isn't just beginner stuff like you get at most conventions. This is an intensive for people like us who totally nerd out on the rhizosphere. The website is regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. That's regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. You can also find a link on the Shaping Fire Instagram and newsletter. Cut through all the misinformation out there and don't miss this opportunity to learn real soil science. This message is for folks who grow cannabis. I'm talking to home growers, patients, and commercial growers too. I'm probably talking to you. When you plan out your next growing cycle, be sure to check out Humboldt CSI Seeds at HumboldtCSI.com. Caleb Inspecta and his family have lived in Humboldt County for over 100 years. For the last 40 years, three generations of his family have cultivated extraordinary Sensamia cannabis in Humboldt, Mendocino, and Trinity Counties. Because of his lineage and the hard-earned experience that comes from growing up smoking and sifting large populations of cannabis plants in Northern California, the seeds you'll cop from CSI will be winning genetics based on longtime heavy hitters and updated and resifted to bring out new and exotic traits and better yields. Go ahead and ask around. Caleb, also known as Inspecta and Pirates of the Emerald Triangle, is a breeder's breeder. He reaches way back and works with significant strains, recreating them in new and interesting ways that you'll love as a toker and a grower, as well as offering you some surprises that will delight serious seed traders and cultivators. Humboldt CSI goes a further step and selfs all these chemovars so you know all the seeds will be female. These are not experimental feminized seeds. Humboldt CSI releases some of the best female seeds available anywhere, and it will show in your garden. Folks grew quite a bit of CSI Humboldt Genex last year here on Vashon Island, and everyone was pleased. The patients had beautiful female plants and didn't have to cull half of their garden as males. The folks growing for the fun of getting high grew colorful flowers with exceptional bag appeal and great highs. And breeders had seven out of seven females in a pack, which gave them a lot of phenotypic choices. Take a moment right now and visit HumboldtCSI.com. You'll find an up-to-date menu of both feminized and regular lines along with photos and descriptions. 
That's HumboldtCSI.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Colin Bell, co-founder of Mammoth Microbes. So during the first set, we talked a lot about um, the differences in growing techniques and culture um, across Europe and Australia and Latin America and Asia. Well, <clears throat> a lot of what you have been doing during the last year and a half, Colin, is essentially evangelizing living soil. Um, you know, the same changes that have been happening in the U.S. as prohibition starts to recede, people are able to talk more online, we're being able to visit analytics labs to learn, you know, people are starting to, to rely on synthetics less. And essentially your job when you went over there was to meet people and create community and kind of encourage people to use soil more and to stop putting PGRs and chemicals in their stuff just for their own health. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what it's like to encourage people to essentially start over on a new kind of growing technique? I mean, you told us in the first set that that uh, Europe was very much, was especially the UK, was very much into hydroponics. And you're like, no, I think maybe you should, you know, get rid of everything that you've done up to this point and start in this, you know, in this new way. How did people react to your your message as a as a living soil evangelist i will start by saying you know i have a phd in microbiology and i feel like i've been a living soil evangelist for my whole life at least my <laughs> whole academic career i just wasn't a very good one until i was able to actually apply some of my academic training uh into the market where i could engage farmers more and yes of course we know and science has well um, supported that the natural processes that occur in soil that are facilitated by soil microbes, both bacteria and fungi, do support plant health, plant development, and plant yield, no questions asked. We also know that the interactions between chemistry and cultivation, although we do deliver nutrients to plants using chemical fertilizers and they're in layoff forms, we are missing something. And we know that whenever we can incorporate some of the nature back into the rhizosphere or the plant root zone and nurture those exchanges, those plant microbial exchanges that have evolved since the beginning of time, the plants respond to it favorably. I feel like we bring the natural exchange back to them to allow them to maximize their potential. I'll also say that I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of farmers in many crops and farmers don't like to change yeah. anything, no matter what they're farming. And so that is quite a steep hill to climb. And thinking about that, we have to understand how to bridge the gap of nature or natural technologies like using microbes, like using living soil into existing management practices without having to ask the farmer to change everything because that could be a very long adoption cycle. And so, so when you approach them, what are you finding? And I, and I know I'm trying, I'm, I'm about to take your entire global experience from the last two years and, and, and bring it down to one example, but generally speaking, 
when when you meet these people, are they hungry for the new organic knowledge where they're they're all like, you know, explain it to me five ways so that I can understand it in my language? Or are they, you know, you are a farming colonist, you know, and, and you're, you're trying to change our ways for no good reason. I think that I approach it a little differently and it's practically too. What I focus on is the value. And then, then you talk about how to get the value. You know, every farmer is looking for solutions. They're all looking to enhance if it's food, nutritional quality of the food and yield. If it's cannabis, it's the quality of the cannabis and the yield. Everyone wants that. And if you can improve that, you have an audience. The next question is how? And so it's the job of manufacturers like myself and many others to bridge the needs of farmers with a technology that's readily adoptable. I think there's a lot of great technologies out there that if it doesn't have that adoption, that easily adoptable characteristic, it's not going to be successful in the market because it's just a huge barrier. And so as an example, and this is uh, probably the biggest pushback we've had, is in the UK early on, and, and just so you know, we have awesome adoption with our technology in the UK, which is a huge testament to how well microbes work across a wide range of management practices, cultivation practices, and cannabis. We got the best new product of the year in, in late 2017. It's an amazing success story. But with the hydroponic growers who use sterile techniques where they pour bleach or they pour hydrogen peroxide into the reservoirs regularly to kill all the microbe life and mostly to control pathogens, uh, that's why they do it, and that's a huge pain point. And so how can I educate those growers who know they're pouring in uh, disinfectants, things that kill microbes into their grow, to use microbes? Well, you educate on ecology and let them know that plants have evolved with microbes and microbes do benefit plant growth. And what we're trying to do is mitigate pathogens, but we're not trying to kill beneficials. And so from an ecological perspective, you can start to educate on ecological niche theory, competition theory, where if you can flood root zones with beneficial microbes, bacteria, and fungi, it actually, in some ways, these microbes act as a bioshield blocking pathogens and blocking potential infection sites to limit pathogen infection. And that's one angle, along with the fact that if you can maximize absorption of nutrients for plants using these natural microbial solutions, which is synonymous with a living soil, bridging the gap starting to acknowledge that at least components of living soil can be applied across all cultivation practices, you get people thinking and you can get samples in their hands and they have to see the results. Every farmer wants to see results with products they adopt, with products they're trying. And if there's a positive result, you have just won over a customer and they're going to buy your technology because they want those solutions. And, and not so only that, but they'll tell all of their friends, right? Because n no one keeps quiet when they've just grown their best flowers ever, right? Everyone tells everybody. 
I do. I do. I, I want everyone to know. And, you know, Shango, that goes even for, let's talk about, we're talking about cannabis, but think about home tomato growers. There's a lot of really avid, not to change the subject, avid tomato growers. And I'll tell you what, when I used to, when I was younger and I used to grow these big tomatoes and they were delicious and huge, I would go show all my neighbors, I'd be like, look, you know, because you're kind of racing with all your neighbors to get the first tomatoes and get the best tomatoes and get the biggest tomatoes. And it's no different with cannabis or any other crop. People get excited about their achievements and they want to share their achievements. And in this industry, we want to share our success and we should share our success. And so that's exactly right. If you have great results, you want to share it. And that's one thing that's very exciting. We were talking about social media, but in general, you know, if you have something that works, it will get out there. As a model, we feel like everyone should try a sample of our technology as just as an example because we feel like you'll have a good result. And if you have a good result, that means we're bringing value to growers and we're going to be successful as a company. And that's kind of how it works. I think it's really great how you pointed out that no matter where you traveled, even if people were looking for new and better growing information, that everyone was proud of growing cannabis and that they were proud of the cannabis they were growing. I like that as being a universal, that, that no matter where we are, no matter what we can, what kind of inputs we can afford, whether or not we have to do it in the basement because of prohibition or whether or not we can grow outside because there's medical in the country, um, the idea that everybody is engaging with the cannabis cannabis plant and it's making them feel good, I think that is a wonderful universal for our cannabis community. There are way more similarities across the world within our industry than differences. If I engage any cannabis conference or any group of cannabis growers, I could have the same exchanges with groups that I meet in Colombia and groups that I meet in Spain or Australia, or the US, or the UK, or Israel, we all have the same passion for this plant and for this industry. And it's uh, a similarity that the world within this industry shares, for sure. And I'll give you an example that you just kind of hit on. This is, last time I was in Australia, we were in Perth, which is one of the most isolated cities in the world. Very, very cool. And cannabis is very illegal. And we're going and engaging in the hydroponic grow shops. And one of the last ones and one of the very last days, I was there for a 10-day stretch last October. And I met a guy who was super cool, older guy. He'd been growing there forever. You know, everyone keeps it on the, the DL, man. You have to be very discreet. And it's not like you're taking selfies and Instagram pictures with these people. You can't do that. You can't take pictures in these stores because they don't want their faces shown. It's a, it's kind of a risk. But this gentleman, I started talking to him, talking about the technology. He got super excited. Obviously, I gave him some samples. And he was like, man, you've got to see what I'm doing. And he lived an hour away. And he was like, can you please wait for me here? I really want to give you a gift. You know, you're from the States and you're doing this. And I'm really happy. And, you know, it was just ecstatic. I'm like, I'll wait for you, of course. I waited there two hours, hung out. You know, I had a great time. It's fun hanging out at the hyper shops. I really love those stores. And he came back and gave me handfuls of four different strains of amazing 
cannabis that he'd been, you know, nurturing and growing and breeding for years. It's just a testament, man. He went two hours basically out of his way to share, to gift, to be kind. And I'll never forget it. That's really great. And, you know, I can the idea of going back to not being able to show, you know, faces on social media around flowers. It's like, oh, my gosh, what a, you know, what a what a jump back to, you know, seven, eight years ago. And at the same time, I'm thinking of how many people who are listening to the show right now who are in states in the U.S. that that's still the reality. You know, I am very fortunate to live on the West Coast and in Washington and and to have been able to participate in all of this so early. Um, But, you know, thinking about these you know, uh, you know, your story in Perth, that could just as well be, be some of the places here. So, so to everybody who's listening in a prohibition state, hang in there, folks, we'll, 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 we'll make our way to you soon enough. Um, change is coming. Yeah. Change, change, is, coming. change is coming. So, um, one more thing I want to hit on, on, on the evangelizing, you know, um, how much challenge did you have with language, right? I mean, the the flower itself and the smoking of it kind of transcends language. You know, you get together, people, everybody knows how to how a joint works, and if you just like pass the joint around a circle and everybody smiles and laughs, and you know, you, you know, some amount of broken English uh, can work. And I don't know what languages you speak, but but uh, you know, what was it like for you to talk to people in so many different countries with so many different languages? I think talking and communicating are two different things. Uh, I don't I don't speak Spanish well, and that's one of my goals for 2019. It was a goal for 2018. I just traveled so much, and it was in so many different places. Obviously, there was it made it hard for me to to hunker down and and be a good student to learn the language. I do have great uh, Spanish speaking partners through Mexico and South America and in Spain, and they help me a lot, no doubt about it. But there's a body language and there's a, you know, how, what, what does a hug mean to you? I don't have to say anything to know exactly what that means. Pass me a joint and give me a hug. <laughs> that happens everywhere, you know, and, the, and a smile and the look of, man, this is awesome. And a head shake. And, of course, we communicate. We do a lot of communication. I communicate with many people on Instagram and direct messaging and, and emails to a lesser degree now. Thank goodness. I'm trying to get away from the emails completely one of these days. That's probably my 2019 goal also. Um, and the WhatsApp is another wonderful tool that everyone around the world uses. That in itself allows me, if I can't understand every word, even if they're reading, I can translate it and engage and understand the messages and translate it back and, 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 and communicate. So, I think communication is just the effort you put into it. And I put everything I have into communicating. It's so important to me. Right on. Hey, let's go ahead and take our second uh, short break and be right back. Um, You are listening to Shaping Fire. And my guest today is Colin Bell, co-founder of Mammoth Microbes. Growing cannabis in greenhouses is taking over the cannabis industry. An efficient and effective blend of sunshine-grown terpene profiles and the controlled environment of indoor, greenhouses can be the best of both worlds. For many greenhouse operators, though, building their greenhouse before gaining insight into how cannabis greenhouses differ from ornamental crops can be the start of a world of hurt. Eric Brandstad and his team at Greenhouse Advisory Group have the experience and technical know-how to help you avoid these pitfalls. 
Eric Brandstad has been helping cannabis growers find locations, design, build, and equip their greenhouses for over a decade, first starting in Northern California, but expanding over the last five years to helping clients throughout the world. He has an impeccable reputation for both depth of knowledge and kindness in communication. You can hear Eric explain some of the challenges facing cannabis greenhouses and how to overcome them in episode number 41 of the Shaping Fire podcast. No matter where I go in the country, good people with smart backgrounds still are making the mistake of building without knowing cannabis, and it causes them to burn through capital and time fast. Everyone has their own failure point. For some, it is improper ventilation planning. For others, it is surface temperatures of the building or the plant's leaves or both. Some folks that build their greenhouse from scratch make really basic errors like placement of the greenhouse on the property or not understanding the natural environment where the greenhouse sits. Some have even built a decent greenhouse but are inefficient in their deployment of light deprivation techniques and never really hit their target yields. It's great when you learn from your mistakes, but it's even better when you learn from the mistakes of others. When you bring on Greenhouse Advisory Group, you will learn from the mistakes of their many clients and you'll take advantage of the best practices developed by Eric Brandstad over his years of working with clients just like you. From location development to choosing a builder and tricking out your new greenhouse or retrofitting or rescuing your failing greenhouse, Eric will help you through it. Visit greenhouseadvisorygroup.com to learn more and connect with Eric and his team. That's Greenhouse Advisory Group. Now that the health benefits of terpenes have become well-known in the cannabis industry, people everywhere are looking for the purest terpenes without adulterants. The problem with most terpene providers is that they're not sourced naturally and instead are made as a byproduct of refining petroleum, and that's so sketchy. The terpenes sold by True Terpenes are entirely different. They are certified organic, non-GMO, and food grade. That means that they are extracted from real plant sources. There are no solvents of any kind. They are distilled only with steam. That's right, only steam. In fact, terpenes from true terpenes are so pure that you can eat them. Not only that, but you can stack them with better results too. What I mean is, other companies' terpenes have got a few percent of impurities, and when you stack those terpenes to make your blend, you're adding a variety of impurities that degrade your final product. True terpenes also have strain-specific terpenes for a wide range of cannabis strains like Durban Poison, Sunset Sherbet, and Granddaddy Purple. True Terpenes has robust and supportive customer service, so your questions will get answered fast and efficiently. If you've shopped for terps before, you know how rare that is. So whether you want to cup your hands to smell some beta-caryophylline to calm down after getting too high, or if you want to dab some pinene so your lungs feel fabulous and your mind feels liberated, True Terpenes will provide you with a truly natural experience. If you are a cannabis product developer, these are the terps you want to add to your oil or edible or capsule or whatever. True Terpenes are simply the best your money can buy. Don't try and make a premium product with substandard terps. Choose True Terpenes for a top-shelf experience. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash true terpenes to find out more or click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los. And our guest this week is Colin Bell, co-founder of Mammoth Microbes. So before the break, Colin, we were talking about how some people that you met didn't want to take selfies with you because they are in prohibition countries still and and they can't have their face and name attached to their cannabis enthusiasm. Um, I'm curious what 
other things that you experienced around like prohibition vibes? Because a lot of these countries that you've gone to are still very much early in the transition towards even medical before even getting to adult use. And um, and, and taboo is in the air and potentially danger. So, so what do you have to share about what it was like to, to be in prohibition countries? Yeah, so, you know, it's actually very exciting in some ways. I'm a scientist that came from the university, and now I'm navigating in this cannabis industry, which is, I would say, regulatory-wise, dark-rated black markets <laughs> yeah. throughout the world. And with that comes a level of risk. You know, going from country to country, engaging in this industry, you have to be very discreet. And to uh, what, I, what I think is really important, I keep on using this word engage, is to talk to our customers, to talk to growers, to learn more. I learn and grow, and that's what I starve, uh, starve for is education. To do that, I have to find growers, and to find growers – Sometimes in illegal markets, you have to put yourself in positions where you are in areas where illegal activity is occurring. <laughs> and I, I'm okay with that. I think you have to be very discreet. You have to be mindful of your environment when you're navigating. Hopefully, you know the people you're working with and engaging with. Um, and, I, and I do. More than not, I've gotten some great relationships. And an example, uh, within this last year, I was with some friends I've met in this industry that are great people, uh, no names, of course, and they invited me to go to a special session, which is, I didn't really know what to expect. It was just a gathering is what I knew, and so I was given an address very discreetly and a time to meet, and when I get there, and I had to take a train for hours from where I was staying in Newcastle, so it was, um, just for the record, not in Newcastle. <laughs> And I'll leave it at that. And when I get to this place, I get off a train and get an Uber. And it's in this old industry part of town uh, late on a weekend night, completely isolated in an old industrial park. And I see a couple of cars and I kind of wander over there and it's dark, you know, and I am alone. And you see this guy who, you know, looks big and kind of um, dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> And you make this assumption that this is where the thing is. Then you go up and you're trying to be modest. And I have a little leaning to because I'm a foreigner uh, from, from America, at least from the U.S. And um, I text my friend. I'm like, hey, I think I'm here. So they come down. But this thing turns out to be this huge, like, event, um, this exchange, this swap meet. And there's security. You go through two levels of security. You go up to the third floor, and this is all in an abandoned warehouse in this dark, again, a dark industrial park. And as soon as you get to the third floor and you open up a couple more doors, there's 400 people in here. There's music. <laughs> there's a coffee bar. There's a regular bar. There's some food. And it, it's kind of like, you know, like a craft fair. You ever been to a craft fair? Yeah, sure. It's just a, a bunch of card tables set up, lining the walls halfway around this huge room. And it's a bunch of people with their product, either their extracts or their flour. Or some people are selling glass. So it's kind of like a craft fair or a swap meet for cannabis, all 100% illegal. And it was a lot of fun. People were smoking. People were purchasing. People were we're buying and selling and smoking a lot. And 
it turned out to be a wonderful time, but again, you would never know about it unless you're engaged in the industry. And, you know, I felt comfortable because I trusted the people that invited me to this thing, but I had a couple of other people that I knew that I was working with in the UK that was like, you know what? I wouldn't do that, mate. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I, I respected their opinion, but I went ahead and checked it out. Yeah. And well, I was really glad I did. Up until you open that last door and you suddenly see people with cocktails in their hands and smiling, up to that up to that very last point, it all sounded sketchy as hell, right? And you're like, oh, yeah. man. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing to point out that some of the countries that you were like, you know, when you told me that you were going to Colombia, I was thinking to myself, dude, they snatch Americans there. What are you doing? Like, yeah. like, did you ever feel, I mean, except for maybe when you were walking up to that warehouse you just told us about, were you, were, were there times when you felt like you were in bodily danger, uh, trying to hunt out these, these folks who were doing prohib prohibition and era grows? I think that in some areas or some countries, it's pretty close by, you know, I'm always with people that are typically always with people that are from those particular regions or cities like in Medellin and you have a second set of eyes and a good intuition of people that are on the ground that know you know if there's a bad neighborhood or a good neighborhood this is a pretty fun example not to name names but one of my uh, one of our teammates a year ago uh, got in a cab and he was looking for some flour we didn't know anyone in Medellin at that time and this young man is from Mexico and he's pretty and he's from Mexico City and so he's used to very rough areas and this cabbie took him to this other area. They stopped and, and in uh, my teammate, he was like, man, Colin, it was like, like I wouldn't welcome to come because my complexion was too light and DA and, and this young man, uh, although he was from Mexico, he was ordered to stay in the cab and only the cab driver could go in to exchange because it was that dangerous. And so it's, it can be sketchy, but I've never, ever felt like in danger at all, quite frankly, because I'm around the right people and there's bad areas and, and dangerous areas and, and, and safe areas in every city. And right so, on. Fair yes, enough. It, it happens, but it's, it's, if, you, if you take care of, of where you're going, it's really not an issue. It also says a lot about, um, you know, if any of us were to go to these places and, and try to hunt up these beautiful markets you're describing, that, that, that having a trusted local is the name of the game. You have to do that no matter what. In every country, you're not going to go to Australia or UK, even if you engage and speak the language and necessarily find the people that you want to trade with. Mm -hmm. you, you should have people that know the area and and know people so you can get so you can get connected with with the good guys so to speak so so this this question may be a non-starter but it's kind of a, a sh shot in the dark so and and maybe i'm being too informed by hollywood that's possible too but i was curious if you came across like nutrient cartels right because in these different countries that you're going to they've been doing things the same way for a long time generally and whatever nutrients are being input into 
you know, the hydroponics or whatever, somebody is selling that stuff to them. And then, and then you come in and you're talking to people about, at the very least, a new product, um, which probably actually doesn't compete with a lot of the stuff they're already using because it's so unique. But more so, you're starting to teach people living soil, which is a whole different system, which will upset the apple cart on how some of these people have been making money. Did you experience any like, you know, like <laughs> cannabis nutrients bad guys, you know, who are, who, who did not appreciate your presence? No, but I do agree that there's that potential. Mm -hmm. And honestly, with the category we're in and we're in the additive category, it's a little agnostic to the nutrient inputs, but there are some clicks, I'll call them clicks that are very strongly opinionated on their position in the marketplace and they control that and protect that as much as they possibly can. And so if I was moving in to the UK with another nutrient line or to Australia with another nutrient line, I don't think that I would be successful. It's just a, a, a lot of history and a lot of products are already there and a lot of groups have already taken up a lot of the market share where we're coming in with kind of a new category. We're coming in with life in a bottle that's going to enhance everything you're putting in to maximize nutrient uptake. And the synergies there alleviate a lot of that for us. Hmm. Right on. That's interesting. So this next question, <clears throat> um, it, it's kind of a different flavor than, than the rest of the questions that I've asked you. Um, uh, when we had uh, Colm Riley on the show, uh, we talked a lot about the bioregionalism of microbes and how if you're going to make you know, nutrient compost teas, it's really great to use local compost that hasn't been shipped across the country so that you are, um, you are breeding more microbes that are local to you and will do well in your soil and your weather and all this kind of stuff. Right. And, and, you know, i I use mammoth pea, uh, in, in my summertime grow and, uh, I, and, and that's got a particular microbe mix in it. Yeah. So, so I am curious, um, I guess it's a two-part question. Number one, did you find that people had any uh, fidelity to the idea that they've got local microbes? And and the second part of the question is, um, uh, are the microbes that are in your product appropriate for all these different bioregions? That's two really good questions. And I could kind of spend a lot of time on that, but I'll, I'll, I will abbreviate and I'll say that, you know, I think overall, there's a lot of ubiquity where you'll find the same microbial groups everywhere. And so microbes, bacteria, and fungi can adapt to different environments. And I want to say that the environment selects. Why there are so much diversity in any one particular soil is because as winter and summer uh, seasons uh, fluctuate and change over time, they're going to select for microbial resilience of some microbial groups and other microbial groups are going to really be stressed by that change in in weather for example and so you want to maintain that function and the resilience helps that having microbes in from a local source definitely helps bridge the confidence that if you're introducing them to the same climatic or environmental conditions you should have confidence that they're going to persist what I will say is microbes in nature and microbes even in a cloth pot are not the same environment. At the microscopic scale, it's very different. And what we want to do is make sure we nurture microbes 
that are very highly functional and very persistent. And so I'll say as the environment selects is a great example, and this is this is reflecting on my experiences in manufacturing or the R&D for manufacturing our technology. You know, we started off with soils from across the world because we wanted to nurture the biodiversity and the functional diversity of as many microbes as possible. What we did is we put them through a functional trait selection platform and an environmental trait selection platform to maximize the, the functional aptitude of any kind of final product, but also to weed out microbes that couldn't persist in environmental stressful conditions that were uh, characteristic of farming practices or the management practices that, that growers use in hydroponics and cannabis cultivation. And we started off saying with over 10,000 microbial species. And after we imposed them through our, our selection platform after many generations, we ended up with four microbes which suggests that most microbes aren't effective and appropriate for farming practices. And we have to select the right microbes for our cultivation practices. And that's where we can get confidence uh, with, with uh, biotech companies looking to solve uh, solutions or looking to develop solutions, microbial solutions for cultivation can help growers use microbes with confidence and precision in their precision agriculture practices. Right on. So Colin, thank you so much for, for, for being a guest on this very different kind of show, right? I mean, every time I've talked with you before, we jump right into soil science and that's a happy place for both of us, I know. Um, but when you, you know, when you started telling me about these, these cultural experiences and these people that you were meeting, you know, I knew I wanted to hear more about these stories and, and I figured that the Shaping Fire audience would appreciate it too. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing a different side of yourself with us so that we could all, you know, be a little more aware of this, this global village of cannabis enthusiasts we have, brother. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. As always, I'm looking forward to seeing you next. And let's keep growing, buddy. Right on, brother. Thank you very much. If you want to follow up with Colin or find out more about the Mammoth Pea product, uh, you can go to their website at mammothmicrobes.com. And if you enjoy Instagram like the rest of us do, you can go to the Mammoth Microbes Instagram, creatively enough, at Mammoth Microbes. And if, you're, if you want to follow Colin's travels specifically or to reach out to him, the best way to do that is via his Instagram, which is Colin W. Bell. So that's C-O-L-I-N-W-B-E-L-L. -L. And that's also on Instagram. And if you caught that earlier during the the interview, he prefers Instagram messages to email. So we're not even going to bother giving you an email address. Just, just reach out to him uh, via that. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Los. Mm -hmm.